Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Well, today um, we have a very special treat. We are privileged uh, to have former Grant Memorial senior pastor, uh, Dr. Doug Tiffin, here to share from God's Word with us this morning. Uh, yeah, that's right. I know that he is uh, near and dear to many hearts in this place. Uh, Doug and Mary Sue served uh, here as the lead uh, senior pastor uh, for uh, from 1993 to the year 2000, which means that uh, he was my pastor for uh, the majority of my teenage years. And so, uh, so you can blame him or whatever. Whatever you need to do, um, but uh, but it's also here at Grant Memorial where their kids Jeremiah and Bethany did a lot of their growing up, and and so we as a church congregation had the privilege of getting to know uh, their family uh, very well. Um, Doug is now uh, serving uh, since since he uh, he moved on from Grant Memorial. He has served in various ministry capacities, uh, mostly throughout the United States, uh, but he is currently serving as the president of Dallas. International University, and I think he's going to tell you a little bit about that uh, when he's up here. But I can't overstate, uh, and I know I speak on behalf of many who are here today, the influence that he has had in my life. And so I uh, ask uh, again, we already kind of did the applause thing, but I invite you to join join me in welcoming uh, my pastor, my friend, my brother, Dr. Doug Tiffin. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Cam. I am honored and privileged to be with you today. I bring you greetings from Mary Sue. She recently had some shoulder surgery and she has not been cleared to travel. And she's so jealous that I'm here and she's not. <laughs> we look back on our time here. This, frankly, this is the gold standard we compare every church to this one. You have, in the midst of it, you have no idea. But the creativity, the commitment to reaching this community and this world in creative fashions, it's incredible. The commitment to excellence in worship and teaching you don't find, you find some of that everywhere, but very seldom do you find that, all of that, anywhere. Foundational is this church's commitment to grace. I remember watching in the back rows, there would be people who would come and they would sit and cry every week for months. Because this was a safe place to come where God could do a healing work in their lives. The gold standard. Anyway, Dallas International University. I have been there. Cam made it sound like I moved all the time. But I've been at, at DIU for 13 years. Um, I was the academic dean. And the last five years I have been president of the school. 
Um, this is a university that was started by Wycliffe Bible translators for that purpose, and that is still our main purpose. As far as I am aware, we are the only secularly accredited institution of higher education in the U.S. that does nothing but prepare men and women to cross language and culture barriers to serve minority and marginalized communities around the world. There's a lot of code words in there. Please interpret that as it should be. And I am incredibly privileged to be the president of this school. We have the same accreditation that University of Texas, University of Alabama, Duke, all the big boys have, so that our graduates can get into countries that are difficult to access. I'm privileged God has been good to me. But let's look in the Word this morning. Uh, G.K. Chester, Chesterton was one of the more remarkable individuals in the early part of the uh, 20th century, over 100, 100 years ago. Pretty much a genius, but he was also a novelist, a critic, a poet, a theologian, a writer of detective stories. Towards the end of his life, he decided to write his autobiography. And as part of that, he wanted to state in one sentence the most important lesson he had learned in life. After a lot, this is what he came up with. The critical factor in life is whether you take things for granted or take things with gratitude. I know that's not the most brilliant thing anybody's ever said, but it's a really good lesson for us to learn. We know... You, we all know and have heard of spoiled kids who think everything belongs to them and should serve them as if the world was created just for them. We don't like those kind of people. But we really like the kind of people who give and serve and invest in other people. And, and we like doing that. Those, there are those who take things for granted. If we're honest, we really tend to avoid them. And they often end up as unthankful, lonely, unhappy people. But those who are grateful, they're the kind of people we like to be around. Being grateful for the love and the help of others attracts people because people want to feel needed. They appreciate recognition for their efforts. And, and gratitude, gratitude comes out of that feeling of thankfulness. You're thankful for the things you enjoy? Are you thankful for the people in your life? Are you thankful for the blessings that God has poured upon you, are you thankful? 
Gratitude, that thankfulness, is a really good indicator of our relationship with God. You see, when there is little gratitude for what God has done for us, that indicates that God's grace has either never been received or it's not been understood. Jesus once told a story to an ungrateful man about how much his attitude exposed his heart. The story and the setting are found in Luke chapter 7. Let me read the story. It starts at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who's had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time she's entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Anytime we look at the parables of Jesus, we learn something about God and we learn, uh, we learn what's important to God and we learn something about ourselves. That's the purpose of the parables. But so often we don't look at the culture behind the parable, which really makes them come alive and gives them power and relevance. This particular episode happens early in Jesus' ministry in Galilee, the northern part of the Holy Land. He is becoming more and more popular, and he's coming to the attention of the Pharisees the religious leaders. John the Baptist had been around doing, how do I say this, doing 
incredible things in calling the nation to repent. But the Pharisees didn't like John the Baptist because John lived simply. Lived out in the desert, camel hair coat, the Scripture says. For us, that would be pretty impressive, but that was just He got his clothes from the Salvation Army. Let's just put it that way. They didn't like that because at that time they equated the blessing of God with wealth. If you were rich, God liked you. And if you were poor, it's because you'd done something wrong. Wealth meant God's blessing. And, And so they didn't like John the Baptist, and they rejected his message of repentance And they were beginning to reject Jesus as well. Um, Not because Jesus was like John. This time they were put off by the fact that Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners. Modern equivalent, gang members and prostitutes. So we come to chapter 7 in Luke. And it starts with the story of Jesus with the faith of the centurion, a a Roman, a non-Jew. And Jesus heals this man's servant. And according to the Pharisees, that's fraternizing with the enemy because they absolutely hated the Romans who had occupied their land. And and following that in chapter 7, we have the story of Jesus raising to life the widow's son. And this begins to give Jesus the reputation of being a prophet. And so while the Pharisees are not sure about Jesus at this point, the average citizen is excited. God has sent us a prophet. We get to the middle of chapter 7, and sorry to take so long to do this, but context is really important here. In the middle of chapter 7, we get John the Baptist's blessing on what Jesus is doing. And that would be significant as well, for it would both further antagonize the Pharisees and at the same time lift Jesus in the eyes of the ordinary people. So we come to this story about Jesus having dinner at Simon, Simon's home. Simon was a Pharisee, a leader in the community. Um, saying he was a Pharisee means he was a good man. He was a, lived a clean and moral life. He was respected in the community, took his faith, his religion seriously. Most of us would feel very comfortable around Simon. Now, we don't know why Simon invited Jesus to dinner. We do know that it's the custom that when there's a visiting teacher, especially somebody who has taught in the local synagogue, that a leader in the community would invite them to their home. So maybe Simon had to invite Jesus. Maybe he was a celebrity hunter. Maybe he was curious. We don't know. But And maybe Simon just wanted a closer look at this guy. Well, whatever the reason, when Jesus appeared at Simon's home, he was treated disrespectfully. 
the etiquette of having a guest in your home is well established in our society as it was in theirs. In our culture, your dinner guest comes to the door, you invite them in, you take their coat, you offer them a seat, you give them something to drink. That's our custom. In the first century, when you had brought someone in your home, you would greet them with a kiss. And then you would make provision for washing their dusty feet. Sandals, dry land, dusty feet, no paved roads. It was refreshing to have a servant wash your feet. Well, evidently, Simon didn't greet Jesus properly. So, imagine what's going on. You come to my house, you come in the door, I don't take your coat, don't offer you a seat, I leave you standing there at the entrance and I go finish the meal, you wouldn't feel particularly welcome. And so probably the atmosphere around this dinner table is tense. Jesus has been insulted by Simon's lack of greeting. But he was there. Jesus came. Because Jesus was not only a friend of sinners, he was a friend of the respectable as well. Uh, because they too needed the good news that he was bringing. Well, Jewish first century dinner parties were not like ours. Instead of sitting in chairs around a the table, they reclined. Um, and they would eat reclining. I think that would be difficult, but that's what they did. And in addition, because Simon was a significant leader in the community, the doors would be left open. The poor and the needy would be allowed to come in, and as the plates were cleared, they could take the leftover food. Because Simon is a community leader, and he wants to show that he is a good man. And people who were just curious could come in, and they could sit on the floor against the walls around the edge of the room and listen to the conversation. They were not invited to join the conversation, but they could listen. The guests, the hosts, were reclining around this table. So it really wasn't any surprise when this uninvited woman came into Simon's house. The shock came when she was recognized. Oh, this is a loose, immoral woman, might even have been a prostitute, but she was known for her immoral lifestyle. Now, please don't confuse this with the story of the anointing of Jesus' feet in, by Mary in John chapter 12. The stories are similar, but one happened in Galilee, one happened in uh, Bethany, which is a distant suburb of Jerusalem. One occurred, er, this one occurred early in Jesus' ministry, that one occurred late. Anyway, they are similar, but very distinct stories. So here we have this uninvited, scandalous woman appearing at the home 
of this respected and proper Pharisee. And if her presence isn't bad enough, what she does is absolutely scandalous. Way beyond what any proper woman would do in that society. And her visit clearly is planned. She has brought this alabaster jar of perfume. That alabaster says, okay, this is expensive stuff. This is the really, the alabaster, uh, the perfume that came in the alabaster jars was used for embalming, anointing body, or for anointing a king. This jar was probably her funeral preparations. This is expensive and it's important. So she comes, we don't know if she had ever met Jesus personally before or just knew him, knew of him as part of the crowd, but very clearly he has touched her life. She comes in and she breaks open this alabaster jar and she anoints Jesus' feet. Ooh, okay. And she starts crying and her tears fall on. And, and, and then she does something way beyond anything she could do. She undoes her hair and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. In that society, women never had their hair down except in the presence of their husband. <clears throat> the room falls. <clears throat> Excuse me. The room falls silent. The guests are stunned. This woman... This unclean, scandalous woman has touched the guest of honor. That's that is unacceptable. It's indecent. In Jewish tradition, if a woman let her hair down in public, she, that was cause for divorce. You know, this, you just don't do this. It would be like as if uh, uh, a woman dressed, a prostitute dressed ready for work, came rushing down this aisle, up on this platform, and grabbed me and kissed me. What would your reaction be? What would my, I'm most concerned about what my wife's reaction would be. <laughs> and Simon, the host, he, he can hardly believe his eyes. He is shocked at the actions of this woman. He's even more shocked by Jesus' response because Jesus doesn't jump up and push her away. He doesn't do anything to discourage her. He's accepting what she's doing. How could he possibly be a man of God? How could he possibly have spiritual wisdom and insight? And, and Simon says to himself, if this, if, if this man was a prophet, as he claims to be, he would know what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. And now we know who Simon really is. Moral, upright, good, but he has contempt for those who are not moral and upright. In his mind, this woman is untouchable, unacceptable, a sinner, and an outcast. And good people shun those kinds of people. 
And, and we see that Simon is, at best, disappointed with Jesus. In Simon's mind, Jesus is better than this. He should have known better. He should never have condoned the behavior of this woman. In Simon's mind, good people protect their goodness by avoiding bad people. And, and notice, just, just from the comment, Simon is really confident in his own goodness. Now, push to the wall, Simon would probably admit that he was a sinner, but not a, not, not a sinner like this woman. Uh-uh, no. Contact with him was not ceremonially defiling. Contact with her was. He might be a little sinner, but she was a great sinner. Fundamentally different from him. And if Jesus couldn't see that, he certainly was no prophet. So, um, Simon, or Jesus reads Simon's thoughts like an open book. Because Jesus knows this woman who is touching him, and he knows what kind of person Simon is. And Simon, and so Jesus tells a story that explains this woman's actions and exposes Simon's self-righteousness. Story is short and simple, really simple. Two men are indebted to the same banker. One of them owes five, um, the equivalent of 500 days wages, two years salary. Take your salary, multiply it by two, that's how much this debt was. And the other one owes 50 days, two months' salary. And both of them are equally broke. When you're in debt and have nothing, it really doesn't matter whether you owe two months' salary or two years' salary. You simply can't pay. You're in trouble. Jesus is paralleling this debt to our debt of sin. Do you realize we are in debt of sin? Suppose... Suppose I only sin three times a day. Three times a day, I do something I shouldn't do, think something I shouldn't think, not do something I should do. That would be a really good day for me. That works out to a thousand sins a year. I'm 67. 67,000 sins at a minimum. I've got a debt. Well, maybe I, could, maybe I could overcome that debt by doing good things. Maybe if I do four good things a day, I'll wipe it out. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of like making an omelet some morning. You crack the first three or four eggs and it's all good. You crack the next one and it's a rotten one. Well, the good ones will outdo the rotten one, right? That, yes. Our good deeds are good, but they don't cancel out the rotten. We are in debt. We are sinners. But for some reason, the banker cancels the debt for both of these people. Uh, to say the debt was canceled is not quite accurate. It hides some of the meaning. 
The, the word used here means the, the banker graciously forgave the debts. The bank, banker made a gift of what they owed. He forgave. It, he assumed the debts. You don't ha- he didn't explain them. Um, no, that's not what. He forgave. It was a, he forgave the debts. It was an act of grace. It was giving of a freedom that they didn't earn. He let them go. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus adds a line. He says, which of them will love him more? The implications of that question are important. The principle is forgiveness precedes love. Forgiven people will love the forgiver because they've been forgiven. Love is the natural response to forgiveness and grace. And gratitude expresses that love. And Jesus says, which of the two will be more grateful? Well, of course we know. And Simon is not dumb. He's beginning to get the point and beginning to feel the pressure, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He's not going to give Simon any opportunity to wiggle out of this. Now comes the application, first to Simon and then to the woman. We tried to teach our children basic manners for when they're guests at someone's home. Basic stuff like sit where you're told, eat what's on your plate, don't complain, and above all, no gagging sounds. Jesus could probably have overlooked the shortcomings of Simon's hospitality, but he had an important lesson to teach here. Simon's lack of etiquette was trivial compared to his spiritual need. And in commenting on Simon's failure as a host, Jesus was not so much concerned about his etiquette as he was concerned about his condition before God. And the contrast between Simon and this woman is, is pretty stark. Simon had done the least possible for his guest. His Jesus' feet remain unwashed, his cheeks unkissed, his hair unanointed. Basic courtesies of the first century were not done. But this woman, her extravagance knows no bounds. She has thrown convention to the wind and lavished her love on Jesus. Her hair had been a towel for his feet. She had kissed his feet. Her perfume had anointed him. Simon, do you see this woman? Simon hadn't seen her. He had seen a sinner, someone distasteful, someone dirty. But he had not seen her as a person. Jesus knew she was a sinner, but he saw her as someone He loved. He saw her in the present, not her past. And he focused on her forgiveness, not her failure. Verse 47, Jesus says, She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If forgiveness is minimal, gratitude is minimal. 
Note that the woman was not forgiven because she loved Jesus. Rather, she loved Jesus because she was forgiven. Her love was evidence of that forgiveness. And the responses of Simon and the woman to Jesus are indicators of whether they've been forgiven much or forgiven little. Jesus is the forgiver because he is God. That's exactly what he's claiming in verse 48 when he told the woman, I forgive your sins. So, if gratitude is a sign of forgiveness, what's the lack of gratitude a sign? If I don't respond with love for God because of what he has done in my life, what does that say about me? Simon didn't love and respect Jesus because he didn't know him. An unforgiven person can treat Jesus with polite formality. A forgiven person can't. So, this story forces a question. Is there any such thing as someone who has been forgiven little? Um, Clearly, Simon felt he was a little sinner, a mild sinner, especially in comparison to this woman. But was that true? Was that true? We label the prostitute and the thief and the murderer as big sinners. But God hates pride and self-righteousness and criticism just as much. John Owen said, he who has slight thoughts of sin has never had great thoughts of God. And I think that was Simon's problem. In his mind, his sins were minor. And so he really didn't understand the magnitude of the forgiveness of God. We are not forgiven more or less. We are, we are forgiven all or nothing. That's the way God works. And Simon was just like this woman. He was spiritually bankrupt, in need of a Savior to cancel his sin debt. Well, having probed the heart of Simon, Jesus turns and he spoke to the woman. He wanted there to be no doubt about the spiritual realities going on here. I'm going to skip the next part. For some people, that that was for the PowerPoint guys. Uh, For some people, forgiveness is impossible. Sin is an indelible stain. You're labeled for life. For some, forgiveness is the equivalent of saying, well, it's okay, you can do it again. For some, forgiveness is just a formality. You say you're sorry to your sister. You know exactly what that means. For a lot of people, forgiveness is meaningless. Simon apparently viewed this woman as not being worthy of forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus saw. 
He did not say to the woman, if you straighten up and change your ways and fly right, in 10 years you'll be forgiven. He did not say, I'll forgive you, but if you sin one more time, I'll revoke it. He did not even say, well, let's ignore your sins, then you can start afresh. He said, I forgive your sins. Not just your sins against me, but all of your sins. Only God can do that. And the people in Simon's house understood Jesus was claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins? Why did Jesus do this? It wasn't because she came in and, and kissed his feet and anointed his feet and dried them with her. He forgave her sins because of her faith. At that time, Jesus, of course, had not yet died on the cross, but he was God, and he could forgive sins, and so he did. Just as the banker forgave those indebted to him, so he forgave. Well, I need, I need to wrap this up. Are you grateful to God for the forgiveness he has offered to you? We don't have this woman's sordid history. The real question is, do we have this woman's gratitude for what God has done? There are no such things as little sinners. There's no such thing as little forgiveness. So, there really can't be little love for God or little gratitude to God. We, we have a God who loves us and who forgives us. Let us respond to that by loving Him, by worshiping Him, by following Him. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and wonderful and loving, and you have given us Jesus as our Savior. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at Grant Memorial Church. <laughs>